we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. I meant to continue with uh, the three-part trilogy, uh, Flashing Fire will follow, but we're, we're going to delay that a bit because there's some significant uh, news out of Quebec this week that uh, warrants um, its own uh, discussion. This is Who Killed Teresa, and I'm your host, John Allure. This week, the the Montreal police uh, announced a major redeployment uh, of its forces. Um, but most significant for our purposes, they they announced the creation, finally, of their own cold case uh, squad to handle unsolved murders. The news was um, unexpected. Uh, unexpected for me, uh, took a, a number of people by surprise. The, the story broke in the, the Quebec Daily La Presse. Uh, and if you recall, um, I had been working with a, a journalist with La Presse on, on, on an article that came out earlier in, in January about the, this podcast, Cold Cases, etc., and um, so um, last week, uh, I was just reading the, the morning papers, um, and I stumbled upon this article. And I'll read it to you. Uh, not the whole thing. I'll just uh, some excerpts to help you kind of visualize what's going on here. Um, um, just keep in mind, uh, Montreal Police is sometimes known uh, by the acronym uh, SPVM. And that stands for uh, Service de Police de Ville de Montréal. SP, so when you hear that, just think Montreal Police. Important redeployment of staff for the Montreal Police. The director of the SPVM, Sylvain Caron, will announce and outline the restructuring plan to the 120 or so executives of the police organization this morning during a meeting in Montreal. This restructuring called Strategic Operational Repositioning 
includes the creation of a full team of investigators devoted exclusively to resolving unsolved murders, a significant addition to the sexual assault division, and fight against sexual exploitation, and the return of the drug investigation sections under the auspices of the organized crime division. And then it goes on to say... Um, Unsolved murders. There are currently about 800 unsolved murders in the files of investigators of the SPVM, accumulated for decades. Until a few years ago, a handful of investigators were still assigned exclusively to cold case, but they retired. Currently, homicide investigators also handle unsolved murders. The SBVM leadership is thus initiating the is is thus imitating the Certe de Quebec which has several investigators assigned to unsolved murders and is creating a new complete team of six investigators and a detective lieutenant to tackle these cases. This announcement responds to a growing need and comes just days after the brother of the murder of a murdered woman whose murder has still not been resolved, John Allure, lamented in the Quebec media that cold cases were virtually unpublicized on the SPVM website. It should also be noted that the constant technological breakthroughs can, in some cases, increase the chances of resolution. Now, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, yeah, I was, I, I was flummoxed. I, 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 you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, uh, you know, Google searching on my name. As I said, I just happened to, you know, I picked up the the, the digital morning paper and started reading, and then there I was referenced. Um, the timing is flattering, uh, although I, I really don't think, um, uh, <laughs> uh, number one, I don't think they're interested in responding to, uh, uh, you know, my whinging, my constant whinging, uh, nor would I think they could... Uh, react to that quickly. I think, uh, if I recall, the, uh, the first La Presse article came out in, in j- just before the new year. And then this is uh, this response. Well, it's, it's not a response. They were planning to do it all along. Comes about three weeks uh, later. Never, nevertheless, the timing is, is uh, of, uh, of some interest. Uh, some things in there that uh, we shouldn't be surprised of, but nevertheless, you know, I almost did a spit take, you know, this idea that the investigators at one time, you know, at one time there were, you know, dedicated resources assigned to these cases, but they retired and, you know, <laughs> the work just got dropped or the idea that, um, uh, you know, current officers uh, handle cold cases when they have time. Answer equals never, uh, you know, when they're not working on current cases. Um, who doesn't have a plateful of work to do uh, come tomorrow morning that uh, um, eats up uh, uh, in the whirlwind of your function, uh, you know, at the office, eats up 100% of your time uh, 24-7. So the answer is that cold cases were not, quite clearly not, not not getting the uh, tender, loving care that uh, we would like them to have. Nevertheless, uh, y- y- the the timing it, it is interesting. Um, uh, I think I I think I said originally that the La Presse piece on me 
by Nicholas uh, Berube um, it was more about the podcasts and all that. And uh, uh, curiously, it, it took a turn. And I think in retrospect, uh, I know now why. In, in early December, we, we had done, as I said, the interview in November. And then he had a follow-up question in December. He wrote me and he said, I have a question for you to follow up on our meeting the other day. Out of the 800 cold cases on file at the SPVM, only four are listed on their website. What's your take on this? Do you find this acceptable? He loaded the gun there, didn't he? Um, so it was, you know, I'm not, again, SPVM is not, you know, the the uh, the agency that handles my sister's case. So personally, I have no stake in it. I just found that they... Um, uh, we're not doing their their job. So I wrote him back and I said, I said, ha ha ha. Well, Nicholas, I asked this question to the SPVM back in 2017. Back then they had three case, cases listed on their site, three out of 800. At that time, their response was something like, we're, we're still working the bugs out and we'll, we will add the rest um, uh, when we're more comfortable with the system. So 18 months later, and they have added one more case. They're making great progress. Uh, and, and then I gave him a quote. I said, this is completely unacceptable. It demonstrates their resistance to being transparent. My guess is when they actually looked at some of these files, they realized that calling attention to them would also call attention to their lack of due diligence um, that they have done with these cases. And of course, as in the examples of Catherine Hawks and Lison Blay, that they destroyed all physical evidence. And so by doing so, they eliminated the prime tool they would have had at their disposal for solving the crimes, the DNA. I suspect this is the case with many of their 800 cases. Adding the other 796 cold cases will ultimately expose the criminal investigative failures of the SPVM. And then I said, see my correspondence with their media officer. Her, her name is uh, Marie-Claude uh, Dandeneau. And I, I had been corresponding with her about their cold case, uh, well, their lack of cold case attention, to, uh, I think as early as 2016. So going on three years now, and finally they're creating a unit. The, the other uh, thing interesting about the, just the timing of how things happened, um, rather kind of prescient and serendipitous. Um, the night before the, the, uh, the SPVM made this announcement, I happened to find uh, an article from early December um, uh, 2018, so about two, two months ago, written by uh, CBC reporter uh, Leah Hendry. And it profiled uh, a 10-year-old Montreal cold case, um, the murder of Jessica Nielsen. And uh, it, was, it was pretty much from the point of view of the, the, Jessica's parents, mother and father. And, uh, you know, the, it was the, the, same, the same old thing, short shaft justice, uh, uh, family being ignored, um, family feels, you know, you know the Montreal police uh, playing ping pong with investigators, investigators retiring and never telling the family. The family sending a photo of uh, Jessica's tombstone as a reminder that uh, of their obligation and duty to solve the crime. 
Um, and I, and I, I found it really, really moving. And I, I simply, I, you know, I, I don't often do this, but so I wrote Leah, Leah Hendry and I, I simply said, um, I said, uh, I know uh, you can't give me the contact coordinates for Jessica's parents, um, but could you pass on to them this message that you could virtually take the name Nelson in that article and substitute Allure and, uh, it, it would still be a factual article, meaning I had the exact same experience um, and to please pass on to them that they're not alone. Um, and there's a lot of us who feel this way and uh, they should um, take comfort in that that there are other people, especially me, who who have tremendous sympathy for a victim like Jessica and that they're they're not forgotten. Um so, um, so I sent this and she wrote, she wrote me back and interestingly, she said, you know, uh, it's, it's funny you should be writing me because, you know, just this week a colleague reached out to me and, you know, she said, do you know this guy, John Allure? You should know him. She said, I'm, I'm working on a follow-up to that article about Montreal cold cases. She said, do you, in, in your experience, do you think anything has changed at the SPVM or will change? And of course, I wrote something back, you know, rah, 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 you, you know, they'll ever change, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, four out of 800 cases, blah, 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 you know. And so interesting to find the next morning this announcement by Sylvain Caron, the, the, head of, the head of the Montreal police force. For the second half here, I'm, uh, I'm going to basically riff on a response I wrote this week on my website to the news of the uh, Montreal Police Force's new cold case squad. And um, I, think, I think I'd preface it by saying, and I think I've said it before, I, I don't particularly like or admire myself for practicing what I've called before like squeaky wheel justice the one that you know the one who continues to complain and then gets a response it's not it's not my preference um to to act that way um nevertheless some sometimes it's necessary i i'm sure a lot of these guys sometimes are like uh, are uh, quite fed up with my incessant badgering um uh, but um, you know, if, even from a young age, I've that you know that I wasn't conditioned that way. I I was actually made that way to be uh, a constant badgerer. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I you know you know tenacious you know to a fault you know like a dog with a pork chop. Um, even the you know and I'm you know I'm, I'm you know I'm that way with the SQ you know. It, I haven't been that way in a while, but, you know, there was a period there, you know, you know, call me on Monday and, you know, Monday at 830, I call, you know, any news? <laughs> it's like, I didn't really mean on Monday, Mr. Allure. Um, um, it, it, but, I, you know, I, even as a kid, I remember, you know, um, to the point of like going out in a blizzard uh, to get 
hockey cards. You know, you go to the guy, you know, at Peretz in Montreal and he he's like, hey, kid, I told you last week, you know, the truck would come in on Wednesday. Well, I'm just here because maybe they came in early. You know, it's kind of stuff. I always like that. I mean, I mean, these next two stories are really my parents' stories, but they they tell them and they ring true. I, I used to do, my mom reminds me, like, um, I used to be worried that if I didn't change my my Christmas list with enough notice and Santa Claus was not going to bring the right thing to, <laughs> to the point where I'd, I, like, I'd go into my mom's room, you know, she's trying to sleep or something. I go, mom, mom. It's August, right? It's August. I got something important. What? What? What is it, John? I just want to change something on my Christmas list. <laughs> this kind of like I, I would. I wouldn't stop. It would go on, you know. Week after, I, I got one more change to the Christmas list um, for Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> um, and then you know, my 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 father's version of that would be. I remember there was like up the street. Um, we lived in Pierrefonds and um, up. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting this. Up Guam Boulevard, Guam Boulevard in Pierrefonds. You know, Guam Boulevard essentially consisted of strip malls. Um, and there was this one strip mall, you know, that had a hobby shop in it. And uh, you know, I was the kid with the Tyco train set and the and the models. You know. The, the monster models, you know, like Frankenstein and the Wolfman and, and you know, army models, tanks, planes, all, all of that. I was that I was that kid, you know, with the, the little tiny paints and the glue and all that. And, I, you know, I, I, I'd go in and I'd I'd wear this dude down, man. I just the, the guy look the guy was haggard already. He was a bit of a he was he was he was a bit of a, you know, a sharp fuse. And I'd go in, and I, I don't know how you'd... I think you'd order from a catalog or something. I want that one. And so we'd place the order. It probably, you know, had to get shipped in from Toronto or United States, uh, Europe or, or something. And, and I'd go in after school every fucking day. You know, did the model come in yet? No. the mon- Did the model come in? And I just constant, like, would not <laughs> leave, leave the poor man alone. Um, so yeah, uh, I am hardwired. I am a hardwired gadfly pest top rate badgerer. And that's what makes me, uh, Johnny Coldcase. Overall, I, I think my... You know, my general response to the news of a new cold case uh, bureau um, in Montreal is uh, is one of wait and see, trust but verify. Um, I think that's the, the correct uh, approach. Um, I, I think it's progress. I think congratulations is, is definitely in order. And it's a, it's a hell of a lot better than the the system apparently they were operating under, which, um, you know, in the announcement, when, when I read that, I was I was quite shocked that it was like, oh, you know, when we when we don't, you know, we're, when we're not pursuing um, our current portfolio of investigations, 
um, then we we look at the cold case, um, or that one time there were people assigned, but they they retired. Um, so you know what the hell happened? Um, uh, that's why I I really can't get too too giddy at the, at the news. Um, uh, it, it, and it's it's interesting, you know. The next morning on the on the radio talk shows, uh, you know, they were all talking about it, talking about it on Radio Canada, on um, Radio Cube was talking about it. Um, and, but but it was, it was, you know, it's just insulting. It was it was very clear to me that uh, in their discussions on the radio, you know, sort of Thursday morning quarterbacking that they were simply reading from the talking points uh, that were included in the SPVMs, uh, you know, communique de la, à la presse, the, the, the media talking points uh, that had been released. They were just reading off them, you know, uh, taking them at face value um, um, and just filled with the, the, the usual cliches. I mean, they're, they're talking about how... Uh, Detectives can now take a new approach, um, you know, fresh eyes, this kind of bullshit. Um, uh, but the whopper, right? I mean, the, the one that was really hard to swallow was when the, the guys, and I heard this several times, um, how advanced techniques um, in DNA technology <laughs> um, were going to crack some of these cases. And I just... Like like the meme of that black dude, I just roll my eyes um, at that nonsense. Um, uh, you know, I don't. This listenership is not naive, and, and I don't have to tell you that that only works um, if you bother to preserve case evidence. And as we said earlier on, um, like like many. Forces in Quebec, the SPVM, they have a poor track record of preserving case evidence. I, and I'm, I am the brokenness record when I cite the case from 2014, or I believe it is, of the young girl who was uh, the attempted murder by her uncle um, and the evidence, the skipping rope and the dress got lost. So, so don't tell me you've improved. And then of the cases from the 70s, early 80s that I have primarily focused on, that's Lison Play, Catherine Hawks, Nikki Goudreau, and Tammy Leakey. So of those four, they've lost the evidence in 50% of the cases, two of four. Um not a scientific sample, but an experience. Um, and when I say lost, I mean the family received official notice from the Montreal police that the shit didn't exist anymore. And um, I, in in the case of uh, um, Lison Blade, judging by the, the, the crime scene, I would guess that there was blood evidence, that there was DNA evidence. In in the case of um, Hawks, I know that there was a DNA sample that, that was lost. Um, so a new squad, um, six, is it six? Uh, I think six 
detectives and one uh, overseeing lieutenant. Interesting that uh, they're not new officers. Um, they're being redeployed. Um, you know, I, I want to go back to this this business of case evidence because, um, uh, you know, like a bunion, it really it really gnaws at me. So it, something happened this week um, at my work or, or last week um, that I think really shines a light on, you know, what the hell is the problem with preserving ca- case evidence? And, and here's here's what happened. So where I work with the city of Durham, um, the police chief uh, with her, her, her top command staff came in and made several budget requests to my department, the budget department, and to the city manager. Um, the chief uh, one was uh, revolved uh, around... Um, the matter of beat structure and patrol. They wanted to, they wanted to change how they they did it. Um, currently, they've been working on a a system of twelve hour shifts, which is really really good for officers because then they, the way it all teases out is they get like a a week to ten days vacation, and then you know a series of twelve hour shifts. Um, uh, great for the individual, bad for the police force, man. I mean, you'd have all this in continuity with cases, right? A case would get started and then somebody would go on vacation for 10 days. So, you know, the ball would get dropped. So anyway, um, beat structure. Uh, um, and then, of course, involved in that is the overtime game, right? And we all know uh, we're not, we're not going to go there today. But um, I do know a thing or two about um, um, public safety uh uh, agencies and how they play this game of uh, shift, uh, right? Personnel shifts in overtime. Um, let's not be naive. Anyway, I digress. One of the last requests they made budget-wise was was this. They said we're running out of room for the storage and retention of evidence. We need $190,000 to get a, another facility to start storing evidence. Now, no one in the room suggested, you know, is there another way? Um, you know, can you just, can you just, you know, can you file it in someone's office? No one said that. Uh, no one said, hey, can, here's an idea. Some of the old stuff, can you just get rid of it? You know, who's going to know the difference? Can, can, you, can you just throw it out, put it in the dumpster? No one said that. Uh, no one questioned the money. Uh, and, and often we're, we're quite tough with, you know, the monetary issue, challenging it. Not in this instance. You, you need $190,000 for an evidence facility? You got it. Done. No question. Um. So I don't understand what the hell is the problem with Quebec police when they consistently use the excuse that we lost or destroyed the evidence. It makes fundamentally absolutely no sense whatsoever. Getting back to 
the SPVM's cold case unit. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, it, it, it's only a good thing. But um, I think um, the Montreal police quite obviously um, can learn a few lessons from the experience of the Sûreté de Québec's um, cold case journey. And just recall um, that that unit for the SQ was created in 2004. Uh, it was started, I believe, with approximately three detectives and a backlog of approximately 600 uncleared homicides. Uh, in early 2018, they added uh, an additional 25 new officers to the unit. Um, and since 2004, they've cleared 10 cold case homicides. And and it should be it should be noted that for over a decade that number was three cold cases. It's only recently, just uh, just last week, I, I I periodically checked, but I I I checked again and saw the addition of uh, seven cases. So that's that's ten cases in fourteen years. Now, if if you talk to some experts about that, they they will they will give you some statistics about how that's a pretty good clearance rate, and um, it's not it's not good enough for me. Ten cases in it, it was really three. I mean, they they added twenty five cases. It was only after they added the twenty five officers that they added seven more. It, it, it was essentially three cases in 14 years. And as we've said before, the low-hanging f- fruit, those three cases came really, really early on in their experience in the, in the like, 04, 05. For a decade, they basically sat on their ass and they did nothing. Or, I don't know, they were learning. Who, who, who knows what it is? Um, and it's, it's also worth reminding everyone that in 2005, Statistics Canada... Uh, in their report, Homicide in Canada, which um, is filled with all kinds of interesting information. It's a stale report now. It's about 12 years old, but it it, it goes back 40 years and it speaks to the previous 40 years. From It's from 76 to 2005. And in that period, the Montreal police had absolutely the worst homicide clearance rate for all major cities in Canada. Um, the, the top force was, I think, ironically, London, Ontario, um, 97%. And I think given, I think that's wrong, given what went on in London in the early 60s and 70s, I think there's a problem with the counting there. I don't, I don't think that's right. Um, Sudbury's up there. I'll buy that. Uh, the Durham region, that's just, um, outside of Toronto. Uh, Winnipeg is above the nineties at 94. St. John's 94. Low, low murder rate in some of these areas at that time. Uh, I wouldn't say Winnipeg now, but for the period they, they covered, um, but at the very bottom, we've been through this before. At the, at the bottom is this, uh, here, I'll, I'll read them out. Sûreté de Québec, 81% clearance rate. Halifax, Toronto, York region, that's north of Toronto. 
And then bottom bottoming out is uh, our old friends Longay, 74, 75%. Vancouver, Laval at a 67% clearance rate. And then finally Montreal, 65. So approximately 35% of all homicides in Montreal went unsolved. Um, 1976 through 2005. Uh, and the, I think the last time I checked, the estimated total unclear uh, cold cases in Quebec is right around 1,700. Um, and and you got to ask yourself, how, how did this happen? What, you know, what is, what is the history of homicide, uh, you know, and, you know, a lot of people ask this. And so I, I went back, uh, you know, obviously I, I read a lot and um, I think you would agree with me on this. In in general, uh, you know, this kind of homicide that we talk about on this program really didn't begin to uh, explode into the 70s. If, like in when I go back and I, I'm reading like... Uh, you know, the Montreal Gazette from the 50s and 60s, the uh, La Presse, Le Devoir, all all of these publications, there's there's just not a lot of cases like the cases we talk about in the 50s and 60s. It's it's different. Uh, You know, there's more gangland killings and things like this. A lot of guy killings, you know, revenge killings, money killings, this kind of thing. But there's there's not you know a lot of women um, being accosted on the street and murdered unless they're not being reported, and that's certainly a possibility. But um, I I'm going to read a short article uh, from the Gazette in 1966, uh, um, which kind of took a, a snapshot of homicide in the province at that time. It's a it's a very short article, so. You know, bear with me here. Uh, it says, um, and I should. Uh, when was this? This was August twenty second, nineteen sixty six. It's by Paul Dubois. Unsolved murders piling up in police HQ. Montreal and Quebec Provincial Police face a combined total of 62 unsolved murders dating back to 1953. They solved 63 in that same period. (laughs) Clearance rate is even worse at that time. It's 50%. Of the total number of unsolved murders, 43 were committed in Montreal, while the other 19 were carried out in various centers across the province. The victims included 24 underworld characters, while 27 others were businessmen, merchants, housewives, and age pensioners killed during robberies. The other killings have been classified as crimes of passion involving homosexuals and prostitutes. The investigations are continuing in one way or another on all the unsolved murders. None of the unsolved cases has been closed. Not included in these figures are a series of murders uncovered several months ago during an intensive investigation 
of fraudulent bankruptcies and arson for profit cases in the province. While several suspect blah 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 it goes it goes on here. The rest of it is not to our interest. Um, and just just ignore the misogynistic and homophobic categorizations. Um, it's not particularly surprising given the given the era. Uh, apart from that, does anything else stand out to anyone? Anyone at all? There are no stranger homicides, right? There's there's none of that. There's um, they're all you know, in some, some way, a cause and effect. There's not some, there's no serial killer here. Um, again, possibly because those, those kinds are not uh, reported or documented or they, maybe they don't care. Maybe they're lumped in with the prostitutes and homosexuals, but that, that phenomena, we don't begin to see that um, until the seven in the seventies. In fact, um, it's interesting the this the statscan uh, profile on on um, clearance rates on homicides in Canada its be- beginning reporting period is 1976 um, and in 1976 uh, a low police begins to 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 notice the pheno- ph- phenomena I'll post it on my website but um the the cover I, I, this is from seventy six uh, of a, a low police. murders in nineteen seventy six, and it's this it's like this big explosive kind of graphic on the cover of uh, of a low police. Another one I, I put up there from the, the mid-70s uh, from Hello Police. It says um, uh, five women murdered by maniacs. And it shows the picture of the five women. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't see that kind of thing in, uh, in the 60s and 70s. Now, now granted, you didn't have Hello Police, you, you know, with this kind of, you, you know, gilding the lily um uh pressing this kind of story there was nothing quite quite like uh, a tabloid like a low police um and then you know you got to ask yourself why does why does quebec have such a low clearance rate with homicides and uh i am um generalizing to a fault here uh, partly because i don't want to step in the lane of some research I'm doing and I'm preserving, but uh, I would say a general comment would be, um, now, now all police forces are, are, um, to a certain extent, focus on self image and, uh, you, you know, it starts with the uniform. I, I would say that, um, compared to most police forces, um, uh, let's just say that Quebec police have a, uh, um, an overly uh, um, an obsession with self-image. They're they're so focused on themselves. I I just um, you, you know whether whether it's um, you know wh- whether it's covering their tracks or um, you know constantly having to react to their mistakes. Uh, they're so focused on themselves that they they can't begin to 
take a look in the mirror, a, a really long look in the mirror, um, and start solving um, these major problems of society. Um, and, um, you know, part of that is it, it just a, it's just a continual reluctance uh, to embrace change. Um, and no more so uh, uh, evident in um, the Quebec Union, the police union's response to uh, the announcement. Um, that day, that day, a communique was sent out to all 4,000 officers of the Montreal Police Force reacting to uh, Director Sylvain Caron's announcement. Um, and this was shared uh, with me by a colleague. I don't think I'm supposed to have it, but I do. I'll, I'll read it. Um, apart from many things, what what jumped out at, at us immediately was the overt hostility and aggressive tone of this of this letter that is going out to rank and file officers, officers who. Right, leadership want them to buy in to the change. You know, the the creation of the cold case squad, um, the beefing up of this sexual assault unit. All of these should be good things. Now, listen, listen how uh, Mario Lenoir, vice president uh, for the Montreal Police Union, responds: "Dear brothers and sisters." La Presse reported this morning a restructuring of the SPVM. The way in which the information first went to the concerned members suffered from a certain lack of respect, which we denounced to the management. The Brotherhood reminds the service that special attention must be paid to labor relations in the context where police officers, not so long ago, have been greatly affected by the many dysfunctions of a problematic management. It should also be remembered that during this time, and despite extraordinary adversity, the police officers were able to ensure an impeccable quality of service. That being said, with the past, in the past, our current concerns go far beyond the fact that Quote, no one will be unemployed tomorrow morning, end quote, as we read in the press. Indeed, the changes decided by the management will have direct and indirect effects for many of you. Therefore, the Brotherhood will ensure that the terms and conditions of these changes are in accordance with the rights that are granted to you by the collective agreement and the respect due to you. To this end, we have convened the union representatives of the affected units to a conference call that will take place today. In the context of a transition to which the fraternity will put its vigilance, follow-ups will subsequently be directed to the people affected. In solidarity, Mario Lanois, Vice President, Research and Communications. Um, as I said on my site, site, this is, yeah, this is essentially a grand fuck you, 
um, to any attempt to change any anything and and instructing uh, the rank and file officers that you don't do anything different until we tell you to do anything different. Um, and this this business of you know the addressing them the brotherhood the, the fraternity this this language goes back um, over over a century to the creation of the Sarté or the well Sarté the the Quebec police it's always used that way and and you know the you can see in the in the language immediately blaming all the dysfunction on the leadership. Um, and not on the, the members. It's a two-way street. Yes, Montreal police have certainly had their problems with uh, senior management, um, but they've also had equally their problems. Um, the, the union hasn't done much to help police services in the interest of the public either. They've done much to protect their own interest, but uh, they're they're not... They're not working in the interest of public safety, the the Montreal Police Union. I'm sorry. I'll just say it. Um, and I can get hammered later for that comment. So be it. When you get your own podcast, you can uh, broadcast whatever you want. Montreal, Montreal. I, I love you, but sometimes you just frustrate the hell out of me. Um, but I, I don't... I don't want an adversarial relationship with the Montreal police. I truly don't. Um, I think I think in people's heart, it's everyone everyone wants uh, progress, and um, I I truly wish um, that unit uh, the the best of luck, and and may they and may they get some early quick victories. I, I think that would go uh, a long way to to making everybody feel good. Uh, interesting, uh, you know, just, just yesterday I was reading the papers and, uh, the SPVM sent out an announcement that a 19 year old girl went, went missing on, um, on the plateau, uh, like over and over the weekend, uh, and the plateau, if you don't know Montreal, um, is just east of, um, Mount Royal sort of, um come down off the east side of the mountain that's the plateau region there um incidentally do you know you know that um that area um, used to have a funiculaire like a moving escalator like they have in Quebec City there was a funiculaire on the east side of the mountain that would take you up mount royal that that must have been uh, something to see anyway i digress uh, a 19-year-old woman missing on the plateau, and my my daughter read this, and um, and I said to her, "This is why I worry." Um, I said, well, you, "You know, when you were in in Montreal in November, you, you went off on your own to to that area. You were with friends in the plateau." Uh, I said, "That could have been you." Um, to which she responded, "She said, Dad, do you do you really worry about that? Do you think that girl?" was abducted and uh, I said what is true I said no no I don't I don't I fear that but I don't think so I think what really happened is um, she probably um, spent a night out with her chums uh, and slept late and didn't let give anybody notification and uh, the the, uh, 
Montreal police is just being uh, diligent and proactive. Um, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened within a few hours. Um, she was found and everything was all right. Um, it's the way things uh, should roll out. They don't always do, but um, we're always happy when they do go that way. And uh, sometimes we we fear the worst. That is uh, our program for this week. This has been Who Killed Teresa? C'est pas facile d'être amoureux à Montréal. Uh, if you like us, uh, give us a five-star rating on um, iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E. You can also follow Who Killed Trees, the podcast, on Facebook. Uh, there's always the website where I'll post some visuals. That's TeresaLore.com. T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E dot com. Uh, we'll come back next time. I will um, continue with um, three-part trilogy on the sex trade. I'll even give you a heads up. We're, we're going to, for part of that uh, show, we're going to talk about the case of Suzanne Charbonneau. Uh, murder from 1974. Um, yeah, if you Google it, you'll find very little information on that case. Um, I think the only one who has anything on it is the Sarté de Quebec because it's one of their cold cases in their portfolio. Um, November 20th, 73, the victim, Suzanne Chalbrenot, left her house after receiving a phone call. Body found in a wooded area in saint anne plains so we'll um, uh, we'll give that case a little context um, under the umbrella of uh, the sex trade in Quebec uh, in the 70s that's it that's, uh, that's all I have for this week I'm your host John Allure this has been Who Killed Teresa have yourselves a great great day de la peine, j'ai bien broyé J'ai cru mourir quand ma Mireille A m'a laissé A m'avait dit qu'un jour peut-être A m'appellerait Quand ses parents seraient partis Pour le chalet Piste arrivée Un soir de pluie au coin de Beauvien, puis la neuvième. Des fois j'y repense, je revois la fille, puis là je me dis, c'était sans doute le plus beau jour de toute ma vie.
à Montréal, je suis en amour. Je t'aime comme un fou, puis je vais t'aimer, t'aimer toujours. Je te compte tout ça, écoute-moi bien pendant que ça me pogne, assis au pied des arbres du bois de Boulogne. Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E.